So again, the name of my message today is How Do You See Jesus? Now, Proverbs 29, verse 18, we're not going to turn there. But it says, Whereas there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. That means if we can't see what God wants to do, then we're going to fail. Or it could mean if we don't see God and know him, we could fail too. You know, you might be saying in your heart, well, I believe in Jesus, but listen to me. The devil believes also in fear and trembling. <laughs> I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God, but he ain't going to make it. So we have to see today, and I would like you to examine yourself how you really see Jesus. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, I want to start reading at verse 53 in just a few scriptures through the end. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in the synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, when said this man this wisdom in these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not this his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Joseph, oh, excuse me, Jose and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him but Jesus said unto them, A prophet is without honor, save in his own country and his own house. And he, Jesus, did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That one scripture of 58, to me, over 43 years, has been one of the scriptures that I just don't, and I really have had trouble understanding over all these years. Here the Son of God is present with all these people. They know his wisdom. They know his mighty authority. They saw his mighty works, yet they were offended in him. And he couldn't do anything there, hardly at all, they missed their miracle because they couldn't see who he was. They, they saw him as uh, the son of Joseph and Mary. They saw him as a brother of all these others and their sisters and their family. And they saw him just as a normal person, but yet they saw the mighty works and heard his wisdom and authority, but that offended them because that made him something that they were not. They couldn't see him for who he was. 
He could be right in their midst and their eyes still didn't know who he was. And although he has all power of God, he's the creator of heaven and earth and he knows all things and all wisdom and he can be any and he knew their hearts yet he couldn't help them with their needs or their miracles or their eyes couldn't be opened. Their sicknesses couldn't be healed. He couldn't feed them or clothe them or help them in their troubles because they couldn't see who he was. What a terrible disease. I think the worst disease I think that's going through the world is blindness. The God of this world blinds the eyes of the world that they don't see the glorious light of the face of Jesus, the Bible tells us. But my goodness, this, this has been the problem for so long. One day in Matthew chapter 16, we don't have to turn there, Jesus came to his own apostles and he said, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You see, people saw him as, as a man of God, they saw him as a man of God. They saw him like similar to John the Baptist. They saw him similar to one of the prophets like Isaiah or Elijah, whatever. But you know what they couldn't see? Who he really was. They saw a miracle. They heard his teachings and his words, but there was something with their vision. They couldn't see who he really is. It's a great problem in the world today. Now, there was a difference with Peter, though. Peter saw him differently. Peter had a different vision. And it's amazing to me that in Revelation chapter 3, we see a church of Laodicea who they were seeing themselves as rich, no need of anything. Boy, we're Christians, we're good, we come to church and whatever, and we're being blessed, man. We're not like everybody else in the world. But then Jesus came to them. He said, you know, you're not who you think you are. You are wretched, you're poor, you're blind and naked. You can't see me. And he said, you better go buy some ISAV and get your eyes open and really know who I am. This is to the church. And you know, when I travel around wherever I go, I see the same problem in the church. I see it in my church, I see it here, I see it in many places I go. The people say, oh, I, but I know Jesus. Yes, right. But they don't know who he really is. Oh, they receive blessing from him. They're born again, they're saved. Some have the Holy Spirit, yet they'll do their own little thing, come to church whenever they want don't even pay their tithe and live for themselves. They try to do everything on their own. 
Still trying to make it on their own. Still trying to do it their own way. Right? That's not God's way. Jesus said, I'm the way. (laughs) Not your way. I'm the way. I know how to care for you. I know how to take care of you. I know how to work in your life. See, the problem is the church is there's there's a certain blindness. Remember, Jesus said, "Don't judge a man because first of all, take the what out of your own eye." The log, the log, out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly. See, Jesus told us we have problems with our sight as Christians. We like to point out everybody else's fault, but I learned when you point out the fault, three fingers are pointing against you and one's telling God that you're wrong. Saul of Tarsus, he was blind. See, he had heard of all the miracles Jesus did. Oh, yeah. He he wasn't dumb to all that. He knew all the teachings, how he, all the Sadducees, he shut up. He was, he heard about Jesus when they asked him, should we pay tithes to Caesar? And he said, give me the coin. To render under Caesar what's Caesar's and render under God what's God. Shut him up. He knew all about that. He knew about Jesus going to the temple and throwing everybody out and saying, make my house a house of prayer. This was not done, hidden. He knew that the high priests were against them. He knew it was because of envy. He was probably part of some of the discussions that they had and whatever. He did not want the way and he went persecuting all of them even though he saw Jesus and knew about him. But one day God opened his eyes on that road to Damascus. (laughs) And like Pastor Wayne preached in our church he says, who are you Jesus? And that day God opened his eyes to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm going to say that again. He's the Son of God. Oh boy, wow. Blindness just came off of him. You know, it's kind of interesting because Pastor Wayne was preaching to us in our church when he came a few weeks ago and he said that that after that, scales fell on his eyes so he couldn't see, and then God came and removed the scales. And you know what I think really happened to him at that time? He started to realize how blind he was and all the miracles and all the stuff he started. He started to open the word of God, and he started to see Jesus really did fulfill all the scriptures of the prophets and all the Old Testament saints of Moses and everything and that Jesus really was the Christ and the one that God would send into the world and he was really the son of David and all of a sudden he could see who he really was. (laughs) Didn't keep him back. He started going right away and telling everybody. This morning... 
Pastor I preached a message that I want to get into a little bit myself because it stirred me up also. But in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus went to the people that had unbelief and he couldn't do many miracles, their problem was not that they didn't see him as a prophet or a miracle worker or whatever. They couldn't understand who he really is. That's the problem with the church today. That's the problem that we have in our lives. Oh, you, you, you know, it's so easy to say that you believe something, but you know, show me how you walk that out. I want to see it how you live. Like Pastor Wayne, let, let's see how you are outside of church and your work and your neighborhood and everything else. Let's see how much you're sharing with other people in tracks and you're not afraid at work to talk to a Muslim that doesn't want to hear about Jesus. You're not afraid to break bread, the word of God, with someone that's a homosexual because you're afraid that he might not like you. <laughs> you see, once Paul knew Jesus, he wasn't afraid of anybody. <laughs> he went into the Jewish synagogue in front of the Jews and hated Jesus and he used to be there. He stood before kings and in prison and in prison cells where people beat him and still told him about Jesus who he was. He wasn't afraid. <clears throat> yeah, he took a lot of persecution for it. But the question isn't about Paul, it's about you and me. How do you really see Jesus is what we're talking about today. I remember when I first got saved, boy, I, I, I mean, you have to understand, Jesus came to me in a vision and I saw him and he shared salvation with me, showed me all my sins and all my good works in a vision and, and, I, and it came out of a track, I read the word gift and boom, there was Jesus and he said salvation is not by works, it's free and he went away, I didn't know what to do. I was at my home in an apartment on Piney Branch Road. I just stood there and I said, well, Jesus, if you can do anything in my life, here I am. And all of a sudden I felt something lift off of me. And later that day I realized I got saved and born again. I didn't know. And I didn't know better. I called the man that gave me the track because his number was on there. And I went to his house and I bought a thousand tracks. And I went out to Langley Park that started passing them out and telling everybody, look who Jesus was. He came to me in a vision. I saw him. He's alive. People were looking at me. I didn't know everybody wouldn't see him. But I was out there telling people. And I dedicated every Friday night to go out there. And people would ask me to go to their house. I said, no, I can't. I'm going out to pass tracks out. And they would say, well, can we come? And what did we end up having? 30, 40 people sometimes come. <laughs> what were we doing? We just wanted to tell people about Jesus. That's all. When we go, went to church, we didn't go to church just to sit in the pew and listen to the message. We came early, set up the chairs. Matter of fact, it's a laughing thing, but we used to bring a whole van full or cars full of people that we picked up off the street to church. Six or eight, right? <laughs> people would look at us, you know, because some of these people were not looking too good in clothes and whatever. I think some of your underwear is probably all over America, right, brother? <laughs> we gave them 
clothes and food and everything that we had. We even we wanted people to know who Jesus was. <clears throat> because God was doing such works in our life, we were starting to understand him more and more in what he wanted to do with us. See, I went to church all my life. My parents took me to a Presbyterian church when I was little. I loved to go to church. I sang in the choir. I was youth moderator in junior high and senior high over all the youth. I was on the Silver Spring Youth Council. I, I, I believed in Jesus, but I didn't know who he was for me. Not for you, for me. What did he want to, what, what was he to me? What was he to me? You know, you might worship him and call him Lord, but is he really your Lord? Are you really his servant? Is he really your master? How do you see him? How do you really see him in your position with him? Are you really a son of God? If you are, oh boy. Are you walking that way? Are you dressing that way? Are you acting that way? Jesus even told us that God's love is different than our love. The word says, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say, what? Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Hallelujah. And those people that use you despitefully, help them. And if somebody asks you for one coat, what you should do? Take them to court? No, you should give them your all. See, God, God is totally different than we're his children. How do you see Jesus is what we're talking about? Not yourself. This morning, Ike named this message Undisputable. Now, that's a big college word for me. I, I didn't even... I had to sit there and think about it for a minute. Undisputable. He gave the definition from Webster's Dictionary, which is nice, because I like to do that too. Impossible to question or doubt. Boy, did I like that. I sat through the whole meeting when I heard that, and I said, Amen. Jesus is undisputable. In other words, when you're disputing something, you're arguing it or giving your opinion or thinking about it, and a lot of that's going on in politics and every day in our world. But this is undisputable. Jesus is the Son of God. Undisputable. Impossible to question it or to doubt about it. And that's how we should see him. No more questions in our life whether he heals or doesn't heal. No more questions whether he provides or not provides. No more questions about whether he delivers or not he delivers. No more question whether he loves you or he doesn't. No more question whether he's merciful or not. No more. Undisputable. Is he is a savior, a healer, a deliverer, a king. He has all power in heaven and earth. He's Lord of lords, king of kings, Alpha and Omega, the Lion of Judah. Hallelujah. Come and shout amen. Undisputable. No more argument about it. 
the church. Don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear about Mrs. Smith that came to the altar. You didn't get her. He see her healed. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Undisputable who he is. Hallelujah. <laughs> Boy, I felt anointed fall all over me. Hallelujah from heaven. Praise God. It's undisputable. Stop questioning your mind who he is to you. Stop questioning whether he will be your shield and your fortress and your protector. Stop! I've had enough of it. Not going to do it anymore. Not going to let my neighbor tell me who he is. Not going to let the world tell me who he is. I'm not going to let somebody without faith and unbelief tell me who he is. Not going to let people tell me who he is. Mary knew who he was. Mary heard the words of the angel. That which is going to be put in your womb is going to come from the Most High. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and that in your womb will be holy, the Son of God. Wow. You know, I'm not a woman and I don't have a womb. I don't know what it feels to have a baby inside of you. But I'm, I can imagine when that baby first started to move and kick, how Mary started to think the Son of God. She started to understand over those nine months, especially when she visited Elizabeth and, and John the Baptist kicked in Elizabeth and Elizabeth prophesied. Hallelujah. That baby probably moved inside of her. Glory to God, the Son of God. And when he was born, she saw the star. Hallelujah. She saw the wise men that came. She heard the angels singing. She saw the shepherds that came. And all confirmed. And it says she pondered those things in her heart. And he started growing up. And every day, I'm sure she would watch him and look at him. And over 30 years, she never saw her son sin. Think about that. And she was always watching them. And there they were, 30 years old, and they were invited to a wedding. And they ran out of wine. And finally, Mary couldn't hold herself, and she said, Jesus made me one of She said, It's not my hour, she said. I know who you are. And she just looked at him. And she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. She just had him pour up that water into the vessels and take it to the man. <coughs> and the head of the whole wedding says, well, you know, normally people keep the worst wine, but you brought out the best wine in the end. How did she see him? As the creator, the miracle worker, she knew he was the son of God. She expected him to do the things that son of God does. Listen to me now. Because this is the problem of our blindness. She expected him to be who he was in her life. 
Did John the Baptist know Jesus? <laughs> when Jesus came, what did John say? Behold! The Lamb of God! Who takes away the sin of the whole world! Do you know he'll take away all of your sin? Not part of it? <clears throat> he won't leave those secret sins in your life. If you'll let him get in there with his grace, he'll remove it all. He'll remove your anger. He'll remove your criticism. He'll remove your fleshly attitude and thoughts and your evil thoughts and your lustful thoughts. He'll do it all because he's come to take away all the sin in the world on that cross. He died for it all. If you'll let him be the son of God. Because that's why he came. Mary knows who he is. Are you going to let him create a new, a new creature? And be a new creature in Christ where all the things of the old pass away. <clears throat> and all things become new. Are you going to really let him be who he is? Instead of making him into a church idol, Jesus. He does miracles. He speaks the word. He does things. That's what everybody else thought. But Mary and John were different. See, these people saw Jesus different. They, they weren't just seeing him as a miracle worker. You know, the people, when he broke the bread, they followed him and he says, you only follow me because you want to eat. You don't know me. <laughs> See? He knew he was there to be their provider. Because he taught us, take no thought for what you eat or drink or put on, for your Father knows all your needs. That's why he sent me. All the promises of God are in Jesus. They're yea and amen. They're free. Romans tells us, Paul wrote to the Roman church, he said, it God who delivered up his only Son for us all, how shall he not with him, Jesus, freely give us all things? We've made Jesus to be something in our churches that he's not. That he's not. If we really believe that Jesus and that name that we sang about is ready to do anything for anybody because God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He knows why he came. The Bible said he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. If we really believe that that's what he wants to do, then we'll tell people that that's what he wants to do in their life. Because he's the son of God. We, we, we have something in our eyes that are keeping us from receiving what he really wants to do. That's his job. He wants to be our Savior, our provider. He said, come unto me with all your troubles and all your labors. I will give you rest. He doesn't expect us to do it on our own. Never did once did God want us to do it on our own. We need to take the message of who he really is. That's what Paul did. He wasn't afraid to be beaten for it or go into prison or whatever. Yeah, we'll be persecuted for it, but listen to me. Multitudes heard who he really was and came. 
When Philip went down to Samaria, when they heard who Jesus really was and what he wanted to do in his name, there was healing, deliverance, and great joy filled the whole city because they understood Christ, the anointed Son of God, has come to set us free. Everything that God offers us is free. But we, in our own ways, we're blinded to the, the things that we think. Peter, who do men say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not a God that we have to beg. And a God that we have to pray, 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 pray. Jesus said that God would hear our prayers speedily and come to us. If you're willing to give good gifts to your son and daughter, how much more will the Heavenly Father not give good things to those who have? Jesus tried to teach us about God so we, our eyes and our vision would open about the Heavenly Father. And Philip and them still struggled with it. Look, we struggle with it, and I know that. But today I want you to ask yourself the question, how you really see him? Are you struggling to get him in your life in a way that you're free from trying to do it yourself? Because when he comes into your life, my friend, and he does something for you, then you'll start to see him a little different. See, this is what we experienced in the beginning. <laughs> we didn't know anything. <laughs> Actually, that was good because we didn't know anything about God, you know. He was some smot-poking hippie, messed up, got saved out in California, came back not knowing anything, willing to do anything for God, going to a retreat. I didn't know anything. I was some... Marine recruiting people for war to kill people and to fight and stand up in my own strength and do everything I can. And I got saved and by Jesus coming to me. And I was a sick person. I had an incurable disease that doctors couldn't help. One day, Jesus came to me and spoke three words to my ceiling audible. I heard his voice. It is finished. It went through my body and I was instantly healed. And for you doubters on the website or the broadcast or in the church, listen to me. I was drawing disability from the United States Veterans Administration in Washington, D.C. because I picked this up from Vietnam at Agent Orange. My limp glands were the size of grapefruits. I couldn't walk up four or five stairs without feeling sharp knives peach through my lungs. I had trouble breathing and living. But I remember when they told me I have it, the first thought out of my mind was, well, I'm in the hands of God. If I live, I live, or if I die, I die, because there's nothing man can do for me. <laughs> I didn't cry. I didn't weep. There's nothing I could do. Took it like a man until Jesus spoke those words, and I was instantly healed. Two weeks later, they found that the Veterans Administration was all gone. Took all away my disability and all my money. I was <laughs> Then one day I heard his voice, kind of like that lady. Sell all you have, 
And that's what we did. We went out on my mom's front lawn, and you've heard the story. We sold it all. We prayed. I remember the prayer. Lord, if this is you, let it all be gone today. Not tomorrow, today. <laughs> At the end of the day, there was nothing left. <laughs> we knew it was God. I remember we had a couple Christians that came. I remember Jim came up and he said, why are you doing this? Do we all have to do this? No, no, you can do whatever you want. I just know I have to do it. And from there, we started praying. And you all heard the story from Pastor Wayne, how God gave us the house in Arlington. And then God started to teach us who Jesus really is. 43 years. <clears throat> Never been without food. Not without clothes. Not without being able to help people out. Oh, I've walked on dirt roads in the mission field. I've bathed in the Massachusetts River. I know what it is. I know what it is to have no support from any church or anything for a year and a half in a country that's a farm and never once listen to this with my life in me. And when I've fallen down, he's always lifted me up. When I've sinned, he's always forgiven me, cleansed me, set me back up. <clears throat> when I've been angry and pride, he's always chasing me as a son. I know who he is. I remember that day. Lord, if you can do anything in my life, here I am. And the only thing that I want to do for him is whatever he wants me to do for him. Because I have made him the son of God, my Lord. I am his servant. He is my master. You know, there was a blind man. He saw Jesus totally different than a lot of people. He sat on the side of the road. He was crying, Son of David, have mercy on me. I said, Whoo, I don't know who the Son of David, but he did, because the Son of David was one that would take the throne over God's eternal kingdom, that would provide for eternity for all of his people. And Jesus stopped when he heard that. He said, yep, that's me. What would you like me to do? I want to see. Okay, no trouble. <laughs> the creator opened his eyes. Ike was sharing this morning some of the, the verses about John's revelation of Jesus. I like Apostle John's revelation, how he sees Jesus. John chapter 1, he sees him as the word of God. In 1 John chapter 1, he calls him the living word of God. Not just the word, but the one that's life in my in me. And then in the book of Revelation, he sees him as he is in his glory. And this is the same John that saw him on the mountain of transfiguration, talking to Moses and Elijah. And, and now he sees him in eternity, the risen, and he stands before him, and Jesus says, that's right, John, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end, and I do have the keys of death and hell. And I do hold all the churches in my hand. 
Are you being held in his hand? Is that the way you see yourself with him? How are your eyes really seeing? Is, it, is he really, are you really in his hands? Are you telling everybody that you're only in the hands of him? Are you telling everybody that he tells you what to do and where to go and how to live because you want to live for him because you love him so much because he loved you? Song of Solomon says the woman there that was like the bride of Christ, she was running around looking for him wherever she came. She knew who he was. She was looking for him. She says he's the, am I, have you seen my beloved? <laughs> I like that word, beloved. I came in here, I called her my girlfriend today. She ran to me. <laughs> I don't blame her. Is he your beloved? Do you love him so much that you can be like the voice in the Song of Solomon that says, if you see my beloved, tell him I'm sick of love. You know, she knew even what his footsteps sounded like. Because in Song of Solomon, he comes to the front door and she hears him and she's in bed and she hears him walking up the steps and she knows, that's my beloved. Just knowing his hand upon the door, it says her bowels all inside got excited. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Does he excite you because he's the son of God and he's chosen you? He said, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. And I've even ordained you to bear fruit. You're in my bone and my bone and body of my body. You're mine. And you know, this blind man, son of David. Hallelujah. Woman with the issue of blood, she saw him totally different. She says, I know who he is. <laughs> He's God and he has power. Just let me touch him. <laughs> That's all. He's God. He has power. You know, we sing the song that there's power in the blood of Jesus. We say it all the time, but there we are. We're weak and we're having troubles. And we're saying, oh God, what's wrong with me? Come on. Something's wrong in our vision. We should be like that woman. I just need to touch you, Lord. I'm going to stand here. I need to reach out. I know that you can touch me. I know I'll be all right. Hallelujah. God is my God. He'll touch me. He'll come. Hallelujah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we heard this morning. Hey, I'm not bowing down. God is able. They knew their God. But even if he doesn't, I'm not bowing down. They threw him into the fire furnace. And who was in there with him? You know what it says in the, in the Bible? It doesn't call him Jesus. It calls him the Son of God. Now I want you to notice something in that. When they came out, not a hair on them was even burnt. <laughs> Is he your protector? Oh, King David, he writes in the Psalms, I can sleep at night, man. We have so many Christians that are fearful. Some of our sisters are fearful. Some of our brothers are fearful. Afraid of what people will think of them at work. Afraid that they might, people look down on them. It doesn't matter whether we have a good job or a bad job. That doesn't mean anything to God. God doesn't care about our outward men. What he cares about is our hearts in our lives. I know when you get old and you get 70, 80 years old, you get weak in your normal body, but your heart on the inside is still strong. Hallelujah. 
I feel young. I'm 70, glory to God, but I feel young inside. I don't know whether I have one day, one week, or one month, or one year, or ten years, or whatever to live. But I'm going to tell you something. I know who he is in my life. I'm standing here as a testimony. He's taken me through the valleys, the troubles, the problems, the churches, good brethren, bad brethren, good doctrine, bad doctrine. He's taken me through it all. And he's still keeping me. There was a Seraphonician woman. It's probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You remember the, she had a daughter home vexed with the devil. And she went out crying, crying, crying after Jesus. And the apostles tried to push her away. <laughs> I like that. You know, a lot of times in the church, some of our worst enemies are our Christians in the church. Trying to push us away from the miracle that God has for us in the thing. Because they don't have the same faith. They can't see Jesus the way you can. And then she cries out to Jesus himself and he says, Hey, I've been sent to give the children bread. <laughs> what he was saying is not you. You know, this woman was very smart. Listen to me why. She saw him differently than a lot of Christians. She says, you're right, Lord. I'm not worthy of anything. Yes. Even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. So what was she saying how she saw him? You're my master. You're my master, and I'm going to stand at that table till a crumb falls, and I know when it falls, it came from you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Many Christians have to make Jesus their master. Man, we have to preach in the church to tithe. We have to preach to the church, tell people to come here on time. We have to tell people in the church to come to prayer meetings and Bible studies. I'm getting tired of it. How about you? I'm getting tired of it. I just don't want to do it anymore. And I'm not going to do it anymore. I made a decision in my life. If somebody doesn't want to follow, that's their tough luck. But I know the problem is they've got self-eyes. They're only living after themselves. They're not being converted in here. We heard a wonderful message of conversion in our church that Pastor Wayne preached. Where people get really converted, where their souls are changed into the image of Christ where their minds start wanting to be transformed from the world to prove what God's good and acceptable will is. Where our eyes get open to see that he's our master. And we serve him. We're not trying to get him to serve us. So many people come to the church for blessings and we should come here to bless him. Because the blessings have already been provided for us. If we give, give, then it's given unto us. If we give him praise, then praise comes back to us. Do you know in heaven, God has all of our prayers and golden vials? But people want him to come to the prayer meeting. So your prayer is not in heaven. Oh yeah, no. 
You don't want to have your prayers in heaven? Don't come to the prayer meeting. That's all right, but I want mine in heaven. Praise the Lord. And God honors him. He knows every tear we cry. He knows every temptation that comes our way. Because he's the son of God. He knows everything. He sees everything. And he knows his job is to take care of his church. He gave himself for us that he might make us without spot, wrinkle, without blemish. So what does he ask of us? Nothing. Did you hear that? Zero. He tells us who he is. I am the bread of life. <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life. He that comes to me, he that comes to me, I will not cast out. He that believes in me shall have eternal life. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. God's not forcing you and I to believe in him. God's not forcing you and I to trust him and to provide for all your physical needs or your mental needs. He's not trusting God. Uh, he's not forcing you to trust him to take care of you, to protect you or do anything. It's up to you whether you want to believe God has been given Jesus for that purpose in your life as the son of God. I love Apostle Paul. He was willing to suffer to take the message to everybody that Christ would fulfill all their needs. He was willing to be beaten and, and starved and whatever. And Apostle John, in the book of Revelation, he sees that Jesus is the word of life, the Alpha and the Omega. He has the keys of death and hell. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the only one called by God to open the book in the last day that will pour out the judgment of God in the whole earth because he's the only one worthy. And the reason is that is because he died for the whole world on the cross and all their sin. And the only people that will ever receive anything from God is when they open their eyes to see that Jesus is their 100% answer for their life. Not 50%, not 99%. You see, our eyes can only be open like Stephen. He saw Jesus, the Son of God, standing by the right hand of God. Where do you see him today in your life? Is he far off? You young people, is that where he is? You're going to have persecution in school if you go and see Jesus for that. Oh yeah, your friends won't like you. Nobody's going to like you either, brother. They won't like you. They won't like this pastor either. They won't like his wife and they won't like any of you. Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. So why are we worried about that? Why are we worried when our apostles tell us that we must go through much tribulation to enter the kingdom of God? Not tribulation from God. I had somebody ask me the other day, why is God allowing all our sisters to be raped and people to be killed and their heads cut off and everything else? I said, oh man, if you could get on the other side and see the rewards, you wouldn't even worry about it. That's the next question. Why does God allow evil to be manifested? It's so that we can know what righteousness really is. Because many people are confused. I have pastored with a church that had 69 nurses, and some of those nurses even were compassionate about abortion. I had to rebuke them. 
Doesn't a woman have a right? I said, no, she doesn't have a right. Neither does a man. None of our bodies are our own. We've been redeemed. It says to the Corinthian church. None of our bodies are known. I don't have the right to my own body. I've given it to him. He has to keep it healthy. He has to keep this body. It's his responsibility to clothe it, to provide it, to take care of it, to give it revelation, to open my eyes, to teach me. As long as I come to him and let him do that. You raised a little girl, right, in your house? A child, right? You raised a girl, didn't you? Yeah, sure. When she was growing up, did she have to worry about what to eat or drink or put on? Did she ever have to drop any job? Why? Because you took care of her. That was your responsibility. The Son of God has a responsibility. He fulfilled it in the cross. He died. He came into the will of God that you and I might live life for life. Blessing for blessing. His blood was shed for a covenant that cannot be broken. And we take in communion. Every time we take communion and we take that cup, we're remembering that Jesus Christ fulfilled God's will for you and I. That he now is our king. Hallelujah. I love it. He's a king. Hallelujah. And we're in his kingdom. Glory to God. And he will provide for us. Glory to God. He will reign over us. Hallelujah. And I'm glad because he only reigns in righteousness. How do you see him? What kind of church do you want to be involved in? You want a church that comes whenever we want to come and do whatever we want to do? Or do you want to be a family that comes like those Chinese and we always want to worship him and praise him? I told my church, that building opens up at 9.30. If you keep wanting to come in at 10.30, go ahead. But I want to be there at 9.30. I want to praise him. Praise him when I'm sitting up chairs. I want to praise him when we're getting the instrument together. I want people in the church that want to come and pray and worship God. Hallelujah. The altar's open. You can come here and pray when this building's open. You can give as much as you want to give in your money. And I'll tell you, God will only give you back more. Don't listen to these other preachers on TV. They're coming after your money. God isn't interested in your money. He's interested in you and me. When we're faithful to God and we come together as one family, we will rise up like a mighty army like in Ezekiel. Nothing will be impossible for us to do. Nothing will be impossible. And I'm looking for people that really want to see him who he is. I want to know him who he is. (laughs) Hallelujah. Pastor, you've gone beside yourself. You're right. But I don't want to be like the ten spies that went into the promised land who saw the giants and didn't think that God could conquer. Because of their unbelief, they never entered in to what God had planned. They never tasted of the land of milk. I want to be like Caleb and Joshua. If God delights in us, he'll give it to us. Notice that. He'll give it to us. He'll give us the strength. He'll help us to war. He'll help us to fight the good fight of faith. You see, vision that we see is really faith. And what is real faith? 
What's the definition, your definition for faith? I'll tell you what mine is. An unquestionable belief that does not need any proof or evidence. I want to say that again. A belief that doesn't need any proof or evidence. I don't need evidence that God healed. I've already been healed. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people healed. I don't need evidence of salvation. I've seen hundreds of people get saved. Their life changed. I used to be an evangelist for Teen Challenge. I saw young people, so much from drugs, hallelujah, that I saw the whole life change to be saints and be preaching in the street. I've seen it. I've seen drunkards. My dad was an alcoholic for almost... I don't know how many years, and in one day I saw God take it all away from him. When he had been in suburban hospital, Washington hospital, he'd been in the Veterans Administration for years, and they all tried to get drugs out of him naturally. But one day when Jesus came upon him, boom, he was totally free. <laughs> Just like that. Jesus knows how to take it up. Just like that. <clears throat> Healing, deliverance, salvation. He's able to do it. He knows. Faith. This was a struggle for some of the church. They, they couldn't get the right vision of faith of, in Jesus, the seeing about the Son of God. And that's where most of our vision's failing, see? When he first went to his own town, they had unbelief. They couldn't get the right vision to see him by faith in who he really is, to really believe in him. You know, when Abraham was fully persuaded, that God who promised was able to do with the promise. Fully persuaded, see? Unquestionable, undisputable, impossible to dispute. Fully persuaded. Faith is an unquestionable belief. No more questions about it, what, God, what Jesus can do. And you don't need proof or evidence. The truth is, Jesus is undisputable. You know, when we had this movie, I was so blessed, brother, because I had seen it at my house, but here, I got this deep understanding what history proved who Jesus Christ is. History itself. Seeing that movie and listening to those guys, those guys that shared all that, the, the detective and the other, I was sitting here thinking, amen, history proves, this book proves who Jesus is. He came. He walked here in this world. He did everything this book says. Hallelujah. He died on the cross. The only question is some people don't believe he rose from the dead. I believe it because I saw him. I heard his voice. I talked to him. How can I deny that? It's impossible. Maybe you haven't seen him or talked to him, but you can still believe it because you're getting all the people here that tells you that, the apostles, the book of Acts, the pastor's teaching, and everything. He's alive. And you hear people getting saved and them doing things like my brother's testimony. A voice comes to her, the Holy Spirit speaks to her to tell her to take something here and there, and we find out it's God. See, how we see Jesus is very important, but we need to see him with eyes of faith. Because one day Jesus was in a boat with the apostles, but a storm was there. And they, they were all there, and it was just getting full, and they were afraid, and fear came. But Jesus was right there. They couldn't see him, who he was. They didn't know him. Really. And all of a sudden he says, where is your faith? Why are you so fearful? He just spoke, and everything stopped. Because he's the creator. 
And they said, wow, they started scratching their head. Wow, who, who is this guy? We knew who he was, the son of God, Peter, but look, we're learning more about him every day. Hallelujah. You can't have fear and faith. They don't work together. It blinds your eyes. You can't do that. It's not there. Peter, you know, he was, one day, he, he wanted to be like Jesus, and Jesus was walking on water to him in the boat, and he said, bid me to come too, and he started walking out there, but all of a sudden he saw the storm and whatever, and he started to sink, and he cried out. You know? This is the problem with many of our faith, is the circumstances in our lives and at work and things we hear and see, all of a sudden we're walking great in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and somebody says this and that, and we see the circumstances, and we lose, get a peace slip, or something happens, or we get a call from the school, and we start worrying. Circumstances start making us cry out to Jesus. But listen to me. Was Jesus still there for Peter? Amen. He was also there in the boat, too, wasn't he? And when Peter cried out to him, Jesus said, where was your faith? How come you took your eyes off of me? You know, one thing that really blessed me is that when Peter denied Jesus Christ three times, remember he looked at Jesus and he saw Jesus? But you want to know something? Jesus was watching Peter all the time. You know, his eyes are on each one of us. He knows every bit about your problems, your troubles, your situation. He knows it all. He's watching. And he's caring. Paul says he's interceding for us in prayer every day. He's a high priest. He's been called by God to meet all of our needs. John calls him an advocate like an attorney that will intercede. <laughs> I, I, I know him as the son of God. I know him that way because that's the way he taught us. When I didn't have any shoes, I just said, I don't want to buy shoes. I want to see what God wants to do. And God wanted to give me shoes. That was a, that was a wake up call for me. I said, wow, if he wants to give me shoes, and I can see, let's see what else he wants to do. Hallelujah. <laughs> he gave us a house. I've never had a house that big. Have you? <laughs> and the thing was, it was furniture. We didn't have to go out and buy furniture. Paid all of our electric bills, paid all of our bills. He even gave us a phone, cut wood for us. If there was a problem, we called. They sent a worker out to take care of it. Glory to God. Uh, I praise God. Brought food to the door. Hallelujah. Had meetings in the house, brought us souls and people. Had a wonderful time. By the way, there was a Maytag washer and dryer for you women in the basement. Hallelujah. Guest house, quarter mile drive. I remember driving up there one day. We had been living there for what, three weeks or so, and we're driving up, and Wayne says, you know, Wayne knows everything about flowers. And he says, do you know what kind of flowers those are, brother? I said, I don't know anything about flowers. He said, they're lily of the valley, <laughs> planted at our front door. Can you imagine that? Isn't that true? Amen. Amen. Lily of the valleys, man. Just to remind us who he is. God's good. Oh, if I had been in the mission field and had to wait for food, yeah, I was in Cleveland opening a church. We ran out of food one night. We had no food at all in the house, kids and everything else. 
We got up the next morning like we do every day and started prayer, started singing, started worshiping God, not even thinking or worrying about it, and the knock came at the door, and that day we had plenty of food. Had to come down to Washington, D.C. Had a car, one tank of gas, four and a half hours, no money, not even a penny in my pocket. Get in the car, drive down, get to Breezewood. The needle is all the way down below you, if you drivers know what that means. Still two hours to go. What do we do? Who do we call? We ain't calling nobody. God knows our needs. We started driving. The devil said to me very clearly, you got kids in the car, you're going to break down the side of the road, and we're gonna, you're going to really get in trouble. I said, I've been in trouble all my life. The problem is, is you can't touch me because Jesus takes care of me. Two hours we drove with no gas in the car. And you try to explain that to me. We prayed in tongues the whole time. We never had so much fun in our life. We pulled in the Lanham and we pulled the car and it was still running. And one of the ministers ran out and said, can I borrow the car for a minute? I said, brother, it depends upon your faith. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, we've been driving over two hours with the needle way down there. And he said, well, there's a gas station right across the street. I've got some money. I'll put some gas in. I said, brother, it's still your faith. I watched him as he drove across the street and the car conked down and he rolled into the gas station. God is my witness. Is Jesus a provider? He provides in ways that we don't even know and we can't even think about. We can't even imagine what God can do. And Apostle Paul tells us that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Jesus taught us that nothing is impossible to God for a believer. He that believeth, nothing is impossible to God. It's what you believe. Do you believe he's the son of God and God has sent him here to meet all of your needs and to take care of you until he takes you to heaven? Have you believed that he wants to take care of your clothes and your rent and your house and your car and your body and your physical needs? Have you really believed that he'll send you the mate that he wants to be if you're supposed to get married? If not, he'll keep you as a single person and make you holy and righteous. Can you believe that he'll teach you the word of God? You don't need to go to the cemetery, I mean seminary, excuse me, to, to the Bible school to learn. The Holy Spirit's been sent, the anointing of God. He will teach us everything we need. God's a provider. <laughs> Abraham learned that the day he offered up his son on the altar. He said, the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. And that's why he was fully persuaded. He could see who he was. I don't want to be involved with the church anymore, Pastor, where people want to do whatever they want to do. I'm tired of it. 43 years, fed up. I want to find people that want to make him king. And I want to serve him with people like that. I want to be around people that want to believe that he'll heal. We'll pray together until we get healed. Because he's a healer. 
I want to be around people that believe he'll deliver us and we'll pray until God delivers I want to be around people that believe that God will provide. Hallelujah. I don't care if we have meetings and houses. We don't need buildings. Glory to God. We have one another. That's what the church is. Glory to God. They're kicking us out of our building that we're in June. In fact, the Wayne invited us for two months to come here. So we're coming here to be with you as long as we have this building. Hallelujah. If not, maybe we'll go to your house. Praise the Lord. Or your house. Or your house. Praise the Lord. Maybe yours. Praise the Lord. We'll get kicked out of your apartment. Praise the Lord. They're kind enough. Maybe we'll become a year of praise our Lord. Amen. There we go. Hallelujah. Or we can be out under a bridge. Or in a park. You know, when I was in Costa Rica, there was a church that met in the park there. And I saw them in the park and I visited them there. They come every Sunday. And they all bring food together. They come there and they, they, they come in the park. They can't stop them because it's a public park. Like a big picnic, right? <laughs> How do you see Jesus? I've told you how I got saved. But this morning, you know, I couldn't help. I just had to write down all the places I've been and everything I did. And and I'm going to tell you that word indisputable is definitely true about 43 years with me. Indisputably, Jesus Christ has taken care of me. Indisputably. And the reason I can say that is because I'm here. Indisputably, he's provided. Indisputably, he's healed me. Let me tell you something. We've seen some real miracles in, in my family. I've seen my daughter's broken arm healed. I've seen my, my daughter's smashed in teeth instantly come out. I've seen my son in Arlington who was cut here, bleeding, pumping out here. By us just praying, and we saw God heal him, and there wasn't even a scar afterwards. Hallelujah. I've seen God take his car, his Volkswagen, with some bed up thing, did the Jericho march around it, prayed for it, got in and drove it. Hallelujah. And even though he had a little bit of faith on that, the next day he took it to the shop just to see if it was still there, right? And guess what? That's how God increased our faith. We started learning that God was able to do everything he promised. Everything he promised. If you want to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you must hang on his promise. You must believe his word. Like Mary said, whatever he says, he'll do. If he tells you to put water in a pail, put it in a pail, man, because it's going to turn the wine. <laughs> if he tells you to go wash spittle and mud off of your thing in the pool of salami, don't do it. If he told you to take up your bed, take it up man, you're healed. Hallelujah. Because he's Jesus. If you want to be like that centurion, you can tell him, hey, I'm a man under authority, just like that Seraphonician woman. You're my master. Whatever you say, whatever you say, by authority, it's going to happen because I'm a soldier and I know what that means. Instantly, his servant was healed. See, we've got this understanding that somehow it's come to us that we have to beg God to do things. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if we believe on Jesus, he has been sent by God to do everything to he that believes. 
<clears throat> Paul teaches that to us. He says that if we have faith in God that raised Jesus from the dead and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, then we have to believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. If you're seeking God and you're coming to God, James says if you take one step to God, God takes a step toward you. <laughs> now why would God be coming toward you unless he's coming to provide and do the things he wants to do in our life? Do you think if when you get in, if Jackie goes to heaven, and I believe she will, do you think up in heaven, Jackie, that you're going to have to provide for yourself for eternity? You think you're going to have to provide for yourself in heaven for eternity? You think you're going to have to worry about whether there's water from the rivers of life or the fruit from the tree of life? Or do you think you're going to have to worry about a place in heaven to live? What do you think? Now, so God's providing everything for you in heaven. Why? Didn't Jesus teach us to pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? That means if God wants to provide everything there, he wants to provide everything here. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's the power of God working in our lives every day, keeping us, feeding us, clothing us, taking care of us. Jesus tried to teach us in the first sermon we shouldn't have to worry about these thoughts or what we eat or drink or put on. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be given to you. All these things. But yet we seem to limit God. And that was the problem of Israel. They limited the Holy One of God. Yet they saw the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They had bread and manna in front of them every day, given by God. God gave them priests, gave them Moses, gave them the tablets and everything. They had the Word of God, the Levites and everything. And yet, they still murmured and complained. They limited God. They couldn't find real faith. And it hurt them when the God finally took them to the promised land and he took them in and he said, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to make those people bread for you. And he took them in there and showed them every, listen to this, that promised land, all the houses were already built, all the fences were up, the cattle was there, the goats were there, the chickens were there, the fruits were there. Everything that God promised was a land of milk and honey, water, flourishing, almost like the Garden of Eden. Everything was there. Except there were giants in the land and Anakins and these big people. And when the people that were the same ones that could never <laughs> believe in God out here to provide for them, remember when they wanted water? They cried and cried at Merah, and they had God just had Moses strike the rock, and water came out for 558,000 people and their children. That's a lot of water, don't you think, out of a rock in the desert? Bread every day out, out from heaven. From heaven. didn't come from the bakery. Nobody went God. It came down from heaven. Real bread. I don't know how God did it, but I know it happened. But yet, they couldn't see God to be the one to give them total victory in their life. I want to say that again, total victory. And that's what's happened to the church. We have preachers that preach good things. Don't get me wrong. And they get us all stirred up and everything, but people's eyes are still closed for themselves individually. And they don't think they can be victorious because they're always looking at themselves. 
and trying to be something more than what God wants us to be in the natural. You see, in the natural, we're, I'm not going to be any better because there's no power in me. There's nothing in me. But in the spirit, God can do anything. I've prayed for people here overseas and God answered my prayer. I don't know how it happened, but I know it works. I've taken these old, normal hands and just laid them on somebody. I've seen leukemia healed, cancer healed. I've seen every sickness and disease I can think of. I've seen every part of the body from the head to the toe, bad back, bad knees, bad feet, bad everything. And sometimes in the Holy Spirit, I'll be praying and God will tell me things about you in the church. I've never heard that at all. I go to the person and I say, is this going on? How did you know that? I said, I don't know. I was just praying. The Holy Spirit kind of brought it to me. And I just wanted to see. I'm not praying for you. I'm not telling anybody, but that's, that's there. How does that work? I don't know, but it works. I have seen hundreds and hundreds of people baptized in the Holy Spirit with power and seen them speak in tongues. In Savannah Larga, 18 people in a room, never met them before, just holding a meeting there. Jesus himself walked through the rear door and all of them got baptized in the Holy Spirit spoken time instantly. Never laid a hand on it. I saw it in my own eyes. And I shouted, I shouted, you're here! Just like that. I went back and cried that night because I always told people, whoever two or three are gathered together, Jesus is there. And here I'm doubting Jesus myself. I said, you're here. Well, sure he should be there. He's every place. I had people from that city walk four hours to come down because they heard that I was in another city just to hear me preach. I cried because they had to walk four hours back. And my family wouldn't even drive 45 minutes over town in Washington, D.C. and be the church. People hungry for the word of God. Hungry for servants of God. Like we're talking about China. And yet, what has happened to us? I'm not here to condemn anybody. We can't condemn. But what's really happened? We can make a decision in our lives that we want to see Jesus as the son of the living God. And we want to get together and we want to cry out to God, hallelujah, and worship him and praise him and adore him and come together like the body of Christ. Because we're both of his bones. We're part of his body, hallelujah. You don't think the Father's going to take care of his body? I know he's going to, hallelujah. If we see Jesus the way he really is called by the Father to meet all of our needs and we start believing that as a group and we come together, I'm going to tell you, nothing can stop us from praising him and keeping him high and lifted up. And I guarantee our praises will reach heaven. He might give us new songs. Hallelujah. We won't have to get them off the radio. Hallelujah. You talk about testimonies, brother, you have to stop the mic. Praise the Lord. You have to stop the mic. It won't be that I prayed for this person or I did this or I did that. It's going to be, let me tell you what Jesus did. <laughs> Jesus did this. Jesus did that. Jesus did it. Oh my goodness. Hallelujah. My neighbor came over and I just told him about Jesus and Jesus, they came back next week and said, you know, it must have been right. Jesus, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. He does it. He helps those even that don't believe. He's good. He's there. 
He's indisputable. I like that word. There's no more dispute with me anymore. I heard that word this morning, and I said, that's the word I've been looking for. I'm tired of people arguing about who Jesus is, aren't you? I mean, I've sat in council with married couples, and they're arguing back and forth, and I say, don't you understand who Jesus is? Well, he threw a plate at me. I said, when? 20 years ago. I said, can't you forgive? Jesus calls us to, he forgave you, right? Yeah, well, forgive. It's hard. It's not hard to forgive. Come on. It's the easiest thing in the world. It's a mental choice. Forgiveness is a mental choice. Forgiveness is a mental choice. It doesn't matter whether you've been molested when you were young or not. It's a mental choice. You have the power to choose. God's giving you a will. You can choose the day whether you want to serve him or you want to stay just like you're at. You can choose it whether you want to be hot and fire for God or stay just like you are. You can choose whether you want to be healed or you want to be delivered or you want to be saved or not by Jesus Christ. You can choose to come to him just like you are and tell him like you are and stand before God's throne until he does that work if you want to. Or you can keep complaining and thinking and pretending that you're a Christian. I'm tired of hypocrisy in my own life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a hypocrite with God. I'm one of these guys that I've always been uh, a procrastinator. I guess that's the right word. I know a job needs to be done, and I keep waiting and waiting, and finally I get them on the roll, and I get them all done in one day. I know I can do it. I don't want to be that way with God. I don't want to be a procrastinator. I want to do whatever God wants. I don't want to put it off. I don't want to be a hypocrite and, and say, hey, here I am in the pulpit. I'm a preacher, but yet when I go there, I'm crying and weeping to God and whatever and being something else. I'm not going to be that way, and I'm not that way. What you see is what I am. Because God's done a work in my life, and I believe that Jesus wants to do something today, here, now. I fasted all week long for this day. And this time, because I believe Jesus wants to do something in our lives. Something special. And if you have a need today, and you have something in your life that you've been asking God for, I want you to come here today. I believe Jesus will do it. He's been called by the Father and sent here to do it. I believe he'll do it. He's done it in my life. Yeah, we have family members that we're praying for, but I know God's going to do it. I remember one day, this this man, I don't know where he came up with the idea, but we were, we were praying together and we had a lot of prayer requests. He said, let's write them down. And we read them, wrote them down. And he said, look, let's settle it right now. Give them to God and that's it. And I think you put them behind a plaque on the wall down in the basement, hidden in a room. Put them on the plaque, behind a plaque. I don't know whether it's a month or six weeks. Not too long went by. And all of a sudden he reminded me, he said, come on down to the basement. We took the plaque down and every prayer that we prayed and we left in the hands of God was done. Is this true? Every one of them. And I started realizing God answers prayer. God answers prayer. I don't need to beg you. You don't need to beg God. I'm tired of it. He says, come to me. Make the request be known to God. And God will do what he says. We stand with you tonight. Praise you.